0: There once was conference held online that helped me reach some goals of mine. The crack was great, the speakers best, oh fundraising everywhere go. HA! Soon may we learn from home with pets and tea and people we know. One day to better yourself we'll learn so much and grow. They've been around for many years, we've learned and laughed and shed some tears. A community I'm proud to know, oh fundraising everywhere go. Ha! Soon may we learn from home with pets and tea and people we know One day to better yourself we'll learn so much and grow. Ha Soon may we learn from home with pets and tea and people we know. One day to better yourself we'll learn so much and grow. Welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast where we give you a glimpse into one of our amazing webinars or conferences. You can check out one of our full sessions and get a 50% discount by using the code FEPODCAST at FundraisingEverywhere.com. Yeah, just head to the Fundraising Everywhere website and use the code FEPODCAST at the checkout to get 50% off any of our sessions.
1: Hello hello hi How are welcome you? everybody um to our webinar um trusts and grants in the during a cost of living crisis um just uh, pop in the chat box where you're coming from um also to let you know um for all of you amazing trust fundraisers out there we've got a special discount for you today um we've got 15% off code for all of for our upcoming Grants Major Donors Conference in December. It's running across the screen, as you can see, and it's the promo code is TRUST15, and that gets you 15% off um, your ticket, and it's going to be amazing, and it's in December. Um, but now I'm going to pass over quickly to the ever-so-wonderful Diana, who's going to say hello.
0: Hello there. Um, it's exciting today. I want to introduce Mandy. Just in case you don't know who we are, we we thought we'd we'd introduce each other. So Mandy's a sole fundraiser, and she's currently the community man- manager for fundraising everywhere. She's spent a number of years as a bids manager and trust fundraiser in housing associations, consultancy firms and even an orchestra and I want to find out more about that at some point over coffee or tea uh, or gin. Um, She's worked on applications ranging from Arts Council NPOs, Arts Council England rather, NPOs to development projects in the housing sector. Uh, She was drawn to this area of fundraising because she loves data, insight and research like a lot of us do Um, and she's on another note a Harry Potter fan and geek fan rather, Um, she's a collector of tattoos and copious amounts of gin and tea. Cheese is her main food group, although she's also partial to a good selection of carbs.
1: That's me in a nutshell. (laughs) I'm not musical, just going to point that out with the orchestra, but we'll we'll pick that up (laughs) at the time, Deanna. Um, But now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the wonderful Deanna Wolfe, who's raised over six and a half million pounds in grants. During her 20 years as a fundraiser in England, Scotland, and the US, um, she's won off, won, um, won off to multi-year grants, from £50 all the way up to £1.8 million. And this has been in the social care, ex-service, education, and heritage sectors. Um, she's gained some valuable secret- sectoral insight as the Commission on the Donor Experience Project leader for Trusts and Foundations. That's a mouthful, Diana. Yep. Thank you for that one. <laughs> uh, and she was also the chair of the Trust, Statutory and um, Foundation Special Interest Group for the Chartered Institute of Fundraising Scotland. She speaks and delivers training sessions on trust research and fundraising at national and regional fundraising conferences and for individual charities and groups. And she has been the senior consultant um, for Trust Fundraising at Money Tree Fundraising for the last four years. She's a Star Wars and Apple fan from the 1970s and 1980s, which is quite specific. <laughs> uh, she loves strong coffee and her cat, who I believe is curled up with her right now. Cheese and carbs are also her favourites. And this is why we get along so well. Um, so that, go, and i there. think
0: that i think we're really good at we understand the trust fundraising sector and the bigger sure. picture and and we understand yeah, enough to know that. that it's not a time to panic despite all yes. the media aggrandizement and the panic that's coming out and and the really rather unsettled world that we're in right now post covid post pandemic post everything and um the 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 yeah. In, how to be politically correct about this? The confusion in our political leaders at the moment—that's going on on all, on all levels across the world. I think this is happening, and it's really causing impact. But as trust fundraisers, we think six months in advance, so we just need to think six months in advance and and be calm about everything.
1: Yeah, that's hundred percent true, and I think that's one of the first things we wanted to kind of say. Today is um obviously th- this um session is about trust and grants within a cost of living crisis But I think like one of the big things both Deanna and I have discussed about is just don't panic. But we thought if we titled it don't panic, it may have the opposite effect on on people. Um but we're gonna start off and um, basically how this is gonna go, we're gonna have a bit of a chat, me and Deanna, um, about our experiences, uh suggestions if you've got any questions pop them in the chat and we can go through them and we're going to end up the session with a few of our top tips for you but first off we want to ask you guys a question so we're going to ask you this question and if you can pop your answers in the chat box so where are you currently getting your funds to cover core costs from so that's the question that we want to ask you and we're going to give you just a sec to put some and our answers because we're really interested to find out. So, where are you getting these funds to cover your core costs? What do you think the answer is going to be, Diana? Um,
0: I think reserves and people will say trusts because everyone keeps going. Oh, go ask trusts. And on Trust Fundraising Hub, which which Monetary works with um, on Facebook, we constantly, the questions that are coming up on Facebook. All this, I'm a Facebook user. I know not everyone is, but I'm of an age where Facebook is just about the good one that I want. Um, and, and what I find is that it's, where can I find a funder for salaries, core costs, um, cost of living, increases? All of those are the questions. And it's not, where can I find funding? Where can I find a funder? And I think trust my my general view is trust isn't the place to go.
1: yeah, I agree. and um, we've already had um Sophie said um hers is coming from founder patrons, yep. which is kind of yeah that's a good that's a, a good a, a good one really but, um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> I say who do you know? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, who who are your founder patrons? I would really like to, to know those and have them. I mean, obviously, that's great. Not all of us are lucky enough to have those. But um, if you can keep popping, um, I think we're just having a little bit of a glitch with the chat at the moment. So I think they're coming in so fast that we're just not able to to, to keep up. But we will be doing that. So we've got some from trusts, some from earned income. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, IG events and community. That's yeah, good. that's that's that, that's good actually. That's not just Sadly, commercial, commercial unrestricted un- income. Yeah, those are actually
0: good. all the best places to get core cost covering from because it's a lot more often. It's a lot more flexible and it's not restricted. Trusts like to restrict their money. It's moving a little bit outside of that now, but trusts are are they're tentative and they're risk averse because they don't it's hard to get the money back if it doesn't work out so tick we've got pharmaceutical companies existing trusts and legacies ticket sales supporter trust statutory full recovery budget a tiny bit Ooh, that's really good full recovery is good but it's hard to get in there um direct marketing challenge events small fund trusts founder philanthropist uh a these are all corporate. the answers
1: that we wanted these are yes. all the answers that we wanted it, it shouldn't be completely from trust and grants that's kind of what we're saying today yep. I know but there are some core grant applications
0: which is where I I like going to court I like going to smaller trusts for core grants because it's about what you do and making sure that you can continue keeping the doors on and the, and the lights on whether it's at home or in the office um to make sure that that's the case and keep things active. And and the little unrestricted grants, that's what you need to put into it. And then it's always about coming back to, why do you need the money? And if your answer is to pay someone, that's not the right answer. The answer should be to deliver the service. The person is the person, you're paying the person and that's fine. And it's a salary you need, but it's not about the person that's getting the job. It's about the person who they're helping and what they're doing and how they're making an, helping your, to make an impact for your beneficiaries. So it's, you need money for the impact, not for the salary.
1: I've just seen one come in, reserves. We haven't had a fundraiser for years, so I have a big job to do. You are in the right place. You are in the right place. We'll hopefully help you a bit today. But yeah, that's, I I agree with you, with everything you're saying, um, Deanna, everything everyone else is saying in the chat box. I think it's great. But I want to get to like the real nitty gritty now. Mm -hmm. What do you think like the real problem is with trust and grants fundraising at the moment within charities? What do you think? Is it panic? Is it unwillingness to ask other income streams? Because I know a lot of people are saying they're using other income streams. Um, but is it that there's that reliance? What is what is the big thing at the moment? Because I think um and I, we've all, we've always said this, Deanna, trusts and grants are like that. If you don't get the money, that's it. You know, that it's your fault that somebody else hasn't got a job, which is awful experience to be put in. And that's not what it is. That's not how this works. It's not yep. and it's a very long term thing, it's not a short term. In my yep. head, I don't see trusts and grants as a short term fix.
0: No. They, like they can like be it. They can be if you already have a really good, strong pipeline with lots of relationships um, that are that are good. And you can go in and say, right, we're short a little bit. Can you give us a little bit more? And you have that conversation. But we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, I think the real problem with interest fundraising is that people think that that's the go to. Can you find a funder? And there's a lack of understanding within a lot of charities of how trust fundraising works. Now the answers we're getting on from the chat box sound really good and they sound like things are changing, but COVID led to expectations. COVID fun- trust fund- uh, funding from trust has put in some expectations that are completely un- un- unrelatable and unsustainable. Those were emergencies because trust could meet behind doors or behind closed Computers and figure out what they wanted to give where, and that was active. And the the job that a lot of trust fundraisers do is behind closed doors. It's at their desk. It's desk based rather than people based. um yeah. So it's a safe. It was a safe. There were a lot of trust fundraisers who weren't furloughed. Everyone yeah. else would furloughed the team. The trust fundraisers weren't. So there's expectations that that kind of income can come in again, and so there's a yeah. panic about the cost of living increase, which is not new. It's it, we we've got a bizarre weird set of search, circumstances that have made the hike go zoom really fast. But the zoom went really fast after the Second World War as well. And while I'm not quite old enough to remember that, um I'm I'm a baby boomer. So I'm the end of the baby well I'm I'm I'm, I'm early Gen X. I'm at that that o- oversight stage from the late 60s. And so things were tight. And now I come from Canada, so it's a little bit different, but things were tight. People were still rationing into the fifties here after the war had ended because you had to restart the economy. And that's what's happening here. We've had Brexit, we've had COVID, we've had political unrest at the top. All of those things are making the markets really, really antsy, which is causing things. We've got Oil companies and energy companies who are taking advantage of that because they can make big profits, there is no need for them to make the big profits or to raise the rates when they're making trillion pound profits or billion pound profits. But their focus is on their 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 investors, and that's fine.
1: I yeah, think one um, of the
0: things is is the panic is there. There's a lack of understanding of how trusts work, which is long term. You, there are six month, twelve month, eighteen months ahead is when you're thinking for trusts, not, not um, right now. Right now, as you go to the people who will give you, you go and do a, a standing on the corner with your buckets appeal, and you bring in a thousand pounds because that's a thousand pounds. It's unrestricted. That it was you got in an afternoon because a whole bunch of people said, "I can give you a pound." Trust give tens of thousands of a thousand pounds tens of thousands of pounds and they've got tons of people asking for them competition is high panic is there there's none there's huge increase and there's a lack of understanding of how trusts work and that's i think where the problem is or is that too simple
1: no no that's i think it is that simple i think like you said there is that kind of reliance and i just think i was still fundraising during um the early stages of the <laughs> pandemic, and. Yeah, we did so many applications and found a lot of um, funders were giving money like very, very easily. They were given a lot more money very, very easily. And it did kind of do that. And then we obviously hit our targets and exceeded our targets, which was amazing. Um, But that meant the following year they expected that from me. And that's again, it's like having that understanding of how it works. And also now so many funders gave away so much money during COVID for emergency funding and all these different um, situations. Now they're like, ah, we need to actually like pull back and change and they're becoming a lot more kind of stringent on on Mm -hmm. on what they do fund. And I think that's like really good because you have to really focus on changing your regular practices and processes. So being really clear about what the issue is, um, why it's important, have that passion for what you're selling yeah. and because also you've got to make sure that you've got a good product and a good service yeah. that you are applying for funding for because if you haven't got a good product a good service nobody's going to fund it
0: no and, and, and I the, think that's true and it's it's got to stay on the why do you need the money not why do you want the money? Oh, we're spending out of reserves. We need to have more money and we need to get money and we need to save money. That level of panic is like, no, why do you need the money? Explain to me yes. the need. Give me the budget. Give me the costs. Because yes. what we're doing it, what as trust funders, is what we do, even as a consultant when I'm working with clients, as a trust or what I do is what do you need the money for? Give me the budget. I have to go and write a business case for this and I have to take it to the equivalent of a bank manager who doesn't like us. And convince them that they need to give us the money. And and you've got to have a little bit of heart in there because that's where the need comes in. That's where you explain why you need it. What are the what's gonna happen if that's the, if it's if it's not working.
1: Yeah. But within,
0: within that, as long as you're saying change, and I'm saying you have to change to get to those practices where you are just doing really, really good practice trust fundraising answer the questions, target really, really, really well. So don't apply to everybody because everyone's applying to everyone. And if someone says, Oh, they're giving cost of living application funding. Yeah. And 10,000 other people are going to apply to it. So what are your chances? Keep in mind, are you buying a lottery ticket where you've got one chance in a million, or are you buying a lottery ticket where you've got one chance in a thousand?
1: Which would you do? Exactly, and I think it's like I saw an article come out the other day about like a tenth of London funders, uh, um, London funders have increased their giving, but that's ninety percent that haven't. Yep. So it it seems really really good, but um, yeah, it doesn't. We have to look at worst case scenarios. On. Pardon. We have to look at worst case scenarios.
0: Play to yes. the worst case scenario, not yeah. to the best case scenario, but. Yeah. That doesn't mean you have to ask the worst case scenario. You just have to know what's in there and know what your plan is. And and yeah. it's about planning really, really well. Um,
1: oh, we've got a couple of we, questions coming in, which
0: Yeah. Do, want do we, we want to answer court? them at the end or do we want to answer them now?
1: Yeah, we'll we'll come to them at the end if that's okay. Just because we might cover these things as well. Because as you probably noticed, once we get going, we'll just go.
0: Yeah. So yesterday's yesterday's prep call of half an hour turned into an hour and a half.
1: Yeah.
0: So I think it's changing regular practices and processes. I would say target really, really, really well. So know what you need the money for and know how you're going to change your programs. What's going to happen if you don't get the money? What's going to happen if you can't get additional money? Are you going to have to shorten the program? Are you going to have to take less people? Are you going to have to cancel it? Play to the impacts of what the change is that's going to happen because that is the difference. Um, And keep in mind as well, um, somebody's just posted up, but I I was doing trust fundraising in the UK back in 2008 when the mortgage markets dropped out and it, it turned the Western economies it flopped them and we went into a global recession at that time and everybody changed their thing. their are giving practices again at that point and they changed how they were doing things and where they were investing. Trusts invest for the long time and they sp- spend off of their income, not off their capital. They're starting to reach into their capital a little bit right now. They did during COVID, they did in 2008. It took a couple years for it to get back to normal but the general apply for anything and get anything went away it's gone away again. Apply very, very, very tightly to what you're looking for. And if you're looking speculatively to something where it says general, because there's a whole bunch of trusts out there that think general's great. And for some of them, that's true take a look at what they've got, what, what else they've given to. And if you don't know how to do that, go into the charity commissions website or Oscars website or Companies house. Cause some of them are listed on Companies yeah. house, go into their accounts and go all the way towards the back. And in the notes on the accounts, you will find a list often of who they've given to in the last two years and how much they've given. If you yeah. fit into the category of any of those organizations, that's a good yeah. reason to apply. If they only if all of those organisations, however, are all in Devon and you're in Fife, don't yeah. apply.
1: Yeah, it's not going to not really good. And I used it's to do waste, it It's well. a waste
0: of a stamp that you can use for someone else.
1: Yeah, and I also used to do kind of um, I used to do that. Obviously, look at the the, the funders and go through because often they will put it on their websites and they'll give you case studies and and tell you that. But also, you can look at charities that do similar work to you within your area and go into their accounts and you can find out um who they've received the funding from. So if it is like I work for an adoption charity. So I would go into other adoption agencies and I it's that I'm going to get done for stalking possibly now. But I used to go into their accounts and you, yeah again you go to the bottom and you can see like who their main funders were um so then you can be like right okay so they were funded by this like this year this year and this year so I know that funder has done something similar and I got told as well by my manager a lot well don't apply to them because they funded a very similar project in our sector like last year or two years ago why wouldn't I apply to them if they funded something in my sector because that means they they're they're interested in it the likelihood Mm -hmm. of doing it again is actually higher in my opinion. And I think that's like something that (laughs) people don't kind of take into account. They think, oh, they funded a project last year. They're not going to do it again. Why not?
0: Yeah, of course. And they might not. But unless you ask them, you don't know. Um, The other thing I'm finding, some people are giving examples of charities that they've gone to. So the chat line is going on the side of our computer so we can see some of the questions as they're going. Everyone's going to big charities. Now, I think, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in the small the small ask over the big ask yeah. um, from an, an efficiency and effectiveness point of view. The big fund the big grants are amazing when you get them, but they also take in a lot of, they have a lot of stewardship. They've got a lot of reporting and a lot of maintenance that goes along with them. You have to deliver to what they've said, or often they will ask for the money back. Because yeah. you've signed terms and conditions, You've signed a contract, so you have to deliver on what you've, you've said you're going to. Or contact them and say why you can't. Cost of living is why you can't. Um, yeah. One of the things, though, that's really important to do is take a look at the little ones. The big ones, there's not that many of them. And I'm going to pull imaginary numbers out of the sky here, yeah. and it's wet finger in the air. Um, of the 10,000 or so or more charities that are in the UK that give money out... I would say probably less than 10% give big grants over £10,000. So if everyone's applying to them, the competition for that money is really, really, really high and big grants equals more restrictions generally. Until you've been with a funder that's been your funder for decades maybe or even five years, you're not going to be able to get large amounts of unrestricted income. Whatever Mm -hmm. happened during COVID, ignore it. That was a one-off special event because the world was imploding. Um, And our lives were imploding. It was keeping us safe and keeping us alive. And that's what the money was for. Smaller grants, 10,000 and below, those ones don't have as much on them. They don't, the, the organizations giving them out may not have as much competition, which means you've got a better chance at getting it, which means that in a cost of living crisis, when the competition is high and you need money in and you might need it quicker, smaller grants often have, smaller funders often have four deadlines a year. Yeah. So you can put out, you write a really good core application. You could put out 20 applica- twenty letters and don't mail merge and don't appeal it because a lot mm-hmm. of them don't like appeals. They are individuals. It'd be like a, approach a trust no matter how small, like they are a major donor. You would not send an appeal letter, a general appeal letter to a major donor. You would send an appeal letter to a £2 a month person, not to a major donor. Yeah. So you send... 20 letters out in a week and you might get four of them back you send out one big application that's taken you a month to do and you are in competition with 50 other funders or a thousand other applications for one pot yeah where where do you fancy your chances of getting some money
1: I would go for definitely the multiple small parts every single time and it's because it's very time intensive to put together even like the smaller applications because you can't the days are gone where you could just have like one boilerplate and just change the name on mm-hmm. it that's you know that doesn't work I don't think it ever really worked but we tried to get away with it sometimes <laughs> but you are only really one person very often as a trust fundraiser because I've been in very few organisations where they've had multiple people working on trusts and grants. Sometimes they don't even have a, a defined person. It's just part of somebody's job mm-hmm. to do to do it. And they are very time intensive, um, both like, yeah, the research, the finding the contacts, the getting information from everybody else, because obviously they're still doing their day, day jobs, these frontline workers. They don't necessarily have time to keep giving you case studies and information. Um, but Shannon's put it in the chat about having those long standing um, relationships. And I think with the smaller ones, especially, you can work to build some of those up. And I had an instance where we had um, funding, and it was just for a year, and it was only, I think it was like £5,000 for something. Mm-hmm. And the, the, a year had gone past, and they contacted me. Literally, I was about to contact them in a few days, luckily. But they contacted me and were like, why are you thinking of applying? Because we really, really liked your application when it came in last year. So if you were, we're, we're likely to refund you. Uh, because I built up that relationship and they were a local giver. They, you know, they worked in the area that I worked in. They knew what we did. And I think that relationship is, and you can get that with bigger funders
0: mm-hmm.
1: after you're on their radar. Yep. You're not going to lot- get that from the application. The application is not, relationship no um relationship after some of the really big really
0: big charities applying for some to some of the really big charities you do the relationship beforehand but that happens in a lot of the bigger cities and there aren't that many big ones like i said um the other thing about multi-year grants is there's not that many people who give them so you can say you want it. Most of the charities I've worked for, they don't give multi-year grants unless it's like a capital project where they've split their one grant to you over three years for their own, their own cost effectiveness. Um, so the big charities, really big charities where you're having trouble getting money in, are you spending some of your reserves? Because if you're a really big charity, and by really big, I mean anyone whose income is over a million pounds, really big, because most charities are under 250,000 pounds, which is why people like Henry Smith doesn't fund big charities anymore. They fund the little ones because that's where the majority of the charities are in the UK. The really big charities, your organization has to look at releasing the money. And if you've saved money for a rainy day, it's a rainy day. Um, yeah. And if you are feeling a lot of pressure and a lot of pushback as a trust fundraiser to to go and find money when you've got large reserves your organization this is the rainy day they need to do it they need to do figure out organizationally what they need to cut if they've not already cut it through through um, covid they need to figure out if there's better ways of doing things they need to access some of those reserves because this is the rainy day those reserves are for yeah. and figure out buy yourself some time until you can figure out better ways of doing things and then start putting core 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 amounts say 10, 10 to 15%, not much more, because otherwise it's greedy, and trusts don't like greedy applica- applicants, put in about 10 to 15% about why on every single grant as a subtotal line after the project cost, or if you're including it as just, I'm asking you for a thousand quid, take 15% of that, and I'm not even going to try and figure that out. Is it 150? I do yeah. words. I I, I, do, have cal- uh, yeah. I have a calculator for, and my phone for when it's money. Um, yeah. but and I get someone to check my numbers. But when it comes right down to it, the big charities have the money in-house. If they're not accessing it, they're making they're setting you up to fail and they're making yeah. you do work in an area where you're going to have to try and explain why those big those big amounts are not being used, which means yeah. that you've just lost your chance with that funder for applying to them for another year because they don't want to be applied to for another year. You put in an application that's inappropriate that you know as a professional is inappropriate because you're getting pressure to do it. Push back if you can.
1: Yeah, definitely um, push back. And I think as well um, linked to that is think about what you are applying for, which is what we've said. Don't um, put a new project together just to get funding. Mm -hmm especially nowadays I think like the core funds are what a lot of people need but if you're constantly coming up or the organization's constantly coming up with new ideas and going right we're going to start this project you need to get funding for this or we need this staff member you're going to apply for stuff that you're already doing because that's stuff that you can prove and that you can talk about and also it does take the pressure because I'm seeing a lot of the comments coming through of people being the only person there or Mm -hmm. trying to having that pressure of it it being really time consuming and yes it is because as trust fundraisers we do like to be innovative and you do need that but if you've got projects that have been running that are doing really well and you've got the evidence to back that up then why would you start something new when you're already like buried under like numerous applications because I've spent months and months and months developing new projects for like huge vendors like comic relief and children in need and even the arts council um england and you get to the end of it and you're just like I don't know what I'm doing anymore because you've got so many things and people talk to you like I don't know what that project is because yeah. I don't because I just don't know enough. It's all if you do too
0: many new projects it's mission drift and it means that actually what you're doing is adding to your adding to the organization's costs rather yeah. than adding to their income coming in. Yes you're increasing yeah. the income but the costs have gone up dramatically as well. Um, one of the things that's important is we like to have a, a monetary and, and just generally however you call it you need a case for support. You need mm-hmm. one that's an internal document that doesn't go out has everything about the project in it, which means that when you're doing small applications and it's an application form, you know what, all the information's there and you've got boilerplate language. You may not have a boilerplate template, although I always have a two-pager as well alongside that. Mm -hmm. It's for your organization. It's for any of the projects. You can have all your projects in it. It's not a static document. You update it, but you have to have version control so that six months from now, when you get somebody saying, well, hold on, what about, how did you get those numbers? And the numbers have changed. You can go back to the original one you sent with them and and know how you got those numbers. If you have that, you can then go and shine the spotlight on different aspects of that project and get the money in and cover it. The other thing is, if you've got unrestricted money coming in from other income streams that are paying for projects and services that are really really sexy to funders and i'm using that language because it's marketing speak and invariably i always got pushback from marketing and comms um you need sexy you need things that are attractive to funders if you've got f- programs and services funded by other streams that are unrestricted you need to have a really good conversation with your finance and smt teams about moving the unrestricted income from those you go find the funding and that unrestricted income goes into core and it covers cost of living increases because that's where the it's about organization the organizations that are going to survive this are the ones that take a good look at themselves and start putting the money where they need to put the money that is most effective if you've got an appeal that you run for Christmas and some of that, but that's actually really, really, really good for funders and that's where you can get funding, don't ignore that. Don't let a very small amount of money come in from a very lot of a large number of people doing other income streams, taking away the one thing that you can do. They can cover core because they can talk about the organization generally. And you can no. talk about could buy a goat, not will buy a goat. Language <laughs> is really, really, really important in trust fundraising. It's incredibly so. Um, the other thing is, we are all individuals, and there is only so much work you can do. Do what you can. Don't yeah. don't. If you follow the mission drift, you're not going to be able to do your work, which means that your stress levels are going to go up, which means you're not going to be as successful as you could be. Yes, my, one of my key things in this is take a good look at your big picture see who's out there and what you can find funding from don't chase the little squirrels going off all the road all over the place go after the big tree <laughs> i know i'm using yeah. i'm not using food metaphors for once um so what you want to do is find your strategy find your work plan as a trust fundraiser and stick to it whenever you have to come out of that work plan what you want to do is then go and say okay This is what I need to do because this is based on on our budgets and this is based on where I can get income. If you want me to come out of that, how do you want me to come out of that? Yeah. And get someone else to make that decision for you.
1: 100% and acknowledge that you're not responsible to save your charity. You, like Deanna said, you are one person. You can't do that. You've done the best possible application you can and you submit your application. Um. That's your part, kind of over. Really, you kind of yeah. have to like. It's sad because you can't always follow it through. Obviously, if you when when you get the funding, obviously you will possibly have parts of that. But once the application is in, it, it, your job is to kind of go right, submitted. Take yourself off for five minutes, have a cup of tea, coffee, whatever. Dance around, however you want to like celebrate that it's been gone in, and you get on to the next one. And that is kind of the reality. Of mm-hmm. trust fundraising it is that continuous kind of cycle almost and I think that's a really big thing at the moment is how do you get to like that that balance of yep. that and like you you've alluded to what can you learn from those previous economic crises in terms of planning for the future because that's what we have got to do we've said it's not a short term it's a long term no. I would say um,
0: the ba- the markets will bounce back. The markets have been bouncing back on and off for a hundred or more years. They will bounce back in one way or another. Um, we will get through this. It may take longer. It may not take. It may not be an easy ride. But so far we're not we're not like things were in the seventies and in the seventies. I think here where um, the electricity would come on and off and they, you had yeah. that kind of thing it's I'm not like agency. it is it's not like it is right now in, in south africa where they've got load shedding for for electricity we are not in that position yet we are in a crunch it is going to happen take a very good look and look at it very objectively how can you help what can you actually do not what can does everyone else want you to do but what is actually possible not pro- and what is probable of that and then go from that stick to your i would say stick to your fundraising strategy and to your work plan because if you stick to it it will there was a reason why you came up with that work plan go for it yeah if you need to talk to new funders talk to new funders um and then if you need to talk to new funders go for it um and apply because you've got to get on their radar but equally, talk to the ones that you've already had and keep that that conversation going with them. Give good reports. Be the best person they have ever funded. Make them have total confidence in who you are. So if you've got if you've got five grants out, deliver what you can. If you can't deliver it because you can't afford it because money's gone up, talk to them and tell them why and keep them involved. Mm-hmm funders constantly and whenever i've been at, at, at funding conferences where they've said they've had funders involved the funders there have said talk to us let us yeah. know how it's not working we can maybe help you sometimes they help you by giving you more money there's a yeah. fair few yeah. who are yeah. doing that right now they're bumping it up they know if you're not already getting money from them they'll a lot will say we're not giving to new clients or we're not giving to new charities that's fine. I mean, it, it's terrible that that's happening and it's horrible that they're in that situation. But it also means that you can go and find the funders that are giving. You're not okay. wasting time on the ones that won't. So don't worry about what you can't do. Worry about what you can do. And so I think yeah. that's what it is, is do what you can. Don't worry about what you can't do because that's just, it's the don't cry on spilt milk. There's my milk. There's my food metaphor. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was going to get in there eventually. But I think that's really true. We've said like, as Tristan we says, we're human. The funders are also human. They are doing this because they care about a particular cause or causes. So yeah, like you said, just go and speak to them, have those conversations. Doesn't have to be like a formal thing. Just you know, pick up the phone or do a virtual call or have a coffee with them. Just have like a coffee and a chat. And and I think those relationships, some of them are some of the best. When I was the arts council funding, um we were really, really lucky that our um, project manager from the Arts Council was like, worked two streets over. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was good and bad in equal measures, but it meant like, I could just be like, right, this, this project isn't quite working. Can we meet? Let's just meet. There's a really nice coffee house. Let's go and have coffee and cake and we'll chat it over. And we could do that. And I <laughs> built up that working relationship with them, which is really, really useful. I think, but,
0: um yeah. I think just before we go to our top tips, and there's one thing here, it's sometimes you won't have a relationship. Don't force a relationship that's not there to be done. Trustees, especially of smaller trusts, a lot of them are volunteers. They don't mm-hmm. have a staff. They don't have time to answer questions. And if they get the legal team that's that's managing their, their stuff to answer it, it costs some money. So if you can't get in, Follow the guidelines. Find all the information. Stock them on the internet because it's organizational. So you're not GDPRing or getting in trouble with that. Go in and find out what you can to see what kind of a flavor of trust it is, and find out what's going on. Ask your peers if they've applied and what the relationship is. And yeah. don't worry about it. If if you start going down a road and you come up with a uh, you come to a block, go backwards. Go down the next road. Yeah. You'll, you'll there's, find... there's ten thousand trusts out there
1: <laughs> yeah you will you will find one you will find one out there um but what we're going to do now we've kind of like i think we'll we could go on for hours on this topic but we won't bore you with with that unfortunately um we're going to bring up our top tips and we'll go through that and then we will try and answer some of the amazing questions that have come in so here are our top tips Diana to... so um everyone and
0: organize and and all organizations are affected by the cost of living crisis and increases right now so you're not special um which sounds really horrible of me saying it, but you're not because everyone's in the same boat. So identify specifically how they will affect or impact the services your organization delivers and your beneficiaries are caused and focus on those aspects alone. Don't say, oh my God, we're in the cost of living a crisis. Yeah, everyone's saying it. So don't be that same voice.
1: Yeah, um, and identify if your current funders would be willing to increase their donations. As Deanna said, it can happen. Um, they might allow you to adjust your milestones or anticipated outcomes and outputs um, to reflect what your current funding will cover at this time and any projections you feel safe making, because I know it can be difficult at the moment. But it, yeah, don't be scared to say this project is going to take us a bit longer or we need to run it for longer. Can mm-hmm. we spread it out? Can we what can we do? Those kind of things. So, yeah, just look at the ones that would be willing to help you. Aside from your normal work
0: plan and your normal pipeline, although take a look in your pipeline to readjust things if needed. Do some really quick research to see if there's any new or previous funders out there who will fund your urgent needs. If don't if none look probable, work with your trust fundraising or your fundraising team to explore how the other incomes, which may be more buoyant and flexible, can underwrite the additional costs. Trust fundraising is usually for restricted income and is the long game. So be aware of it. Don't apply willy nilly. And don't necessarily apply to a list of, you, you see lists of, oh, these 10 funders give cost of living increases. Yes, and 10,000 pl- applicants are going to go for them.
1: Yeah. Um, and create a two to three page core costs urgent appeal. Again, covering what you need and not what the charity is saying they want um, to send to you funders. Keep in mind competition is really, really high at the moment with uncertain investment landscapes we don't know what's going to happen also remember to add 10 to 15 percent of any project costs to every application on a separate budget line as a contribution to core costs you know inflation is going to happen (laughs) you need to make Mm -hmm. sure that it's in there and make sure it goes into the core and unrestricted um, funding pot if you are successful so keep it separately from specific Mm -hmm. project costs i think is a really good idea
0: and I think the, the tone we want to make sure and, and our, our top tip is don't panic. I mean, I, I realize it's it's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Don't panic. Get your towels, get your 42 answers or whatever. Um, I'm that geek too. But nevertheless, don't panic about it. Follow good practices. Costs will go up, markets will fail, and there are crises. And that's been happening my entire career as a trust fund user in various countries. Um, I was trust fundraising just as the towers came down in the States. It made life very, very interesting. Let me put it that way. And then I changed countries. Um, diversify your income sources and review where you can cut costs. Focus on your need and not on want. CEOs have a lot of want, their expectations, they're, they're, they're anticipating that and, and being aspirational. Right now, focus on need. And yeah. that's, that's it.
1: Yeah, as we said, it's entitled Don't Panic, I think. But yeah, Um, that was amazing. Um, But I've got some questions here that I'm going to start going through and just throw at you, Deanna, if that's okay Okay. for the last little bit of it. If we see if you've got any more, keep adding them into the chat and we'll we'll get to them. But um, Rachel has asked, do you have a strategy for applying to funders who don't accept unsolicited applications? My first one would be don't.
0: Um,
1: Yes, actually, I call them.
0: I call them up because sometimes um, their unsolicited is, if they give you a phone number and then say, we don't accept unsolicited, I call up and and quite boldly in my North American accent in Britain say, so how can I get solicited? Um, And I realize I'm being funny here, um, but really it is. I'd like to find out, is my project acceptable? And sometimes that person is the gatekeeper and they just want to make sure that the applications are there. If they say no, then say no. But take a look at your trustees and then and your SMT and anybody of, of interest and note in your organization, and see if they know a trustee or person at that charity. Because it could be that you could, it's the little black book. You know, when they're at a, a co- they're all at a, a cocktail party or at dinner together, and you can say we're doing this great project. They don't have to ask all they have to do is drop in that they are interested in doing this and that they've got a trust fundraiser. And would, would they be up for an application coming into them?
1: Yeah, Not. That's much better than my response. <laughs>
0: no, but I've there are times when, there it are times joking. when I say, you know what, if I've got a huge list and they say no one's solicited, the no one's solicited are the ones that go last unless yeah, I'm yeah. a perfect fit. If I'm a perfect fit, that's when I'll call up.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, and I think that that's true. Like sometimes you've got to just prioritize, haven't you? And if they do mm-hmm. say you've got four really warm leads and one that says no one's listed, then definitely, you know, don't go for that one. Uh, just quickly, um, David said, can we keep the last, uh, the top tips? But we will um, share the top tips to attendees of today. So don't worry about like scribbling down all the notes. We'll, we promise we will share them for you. Um, And a question here from AJH, Um, how do you get past um, a funder who says reserves are too high, yet our annual needs are large, so we need high reserves in case we don't get funding? That's Um, interesting, and I've had this a lot. Reserves are a love-hate relationship with me.
0: They um, really are. Yes, and there was another one in there about what is the perfect level of reserves. There's a whole bit of discussion of reserves. Uh, the charity commission has said trustees get to decide your reserves. There are some trusts out there who don't like reserves. nothing you say or do ever will ever like make them like your reserves. so just don't bother applying put your energy somewhere else. Um, and that and you can't fix that because that's their choice to do so. Um, I would say if your reserves are, are very high, do you have a good reason why? and then explain your reason why. I've worked in organizations where the reserves were in, oh, well, oh, like close to 20 million. Yeah. It's because that was what it was going to be required if they had to wind up the charity and all the processes and getting rid of all the properties that were involved, it was a residential charity. Um, so it would that's what they needed to have in place. It was actually commensurate with what the needs of the organization was given a worst case scenario. If your annual needs are large and you need high reserves in case you don't get funding take a look maybe you need to have them designated maybe you need to separate them into restricted and unrestricted and within the unrestricted which is which is what the reserves are if you don't if you just have reserves make sure you've got it unrestricted restricted, and within unrestricted, you've got designated and you've got free reserves or you're definitely unrestricted ones because that it's the money to hand. If you've got designated reserves for specific it, it instances, make sure you get that into the application somewhere. Sometimes you have to put it into a, into a line that doesn't work quite with the question, but that's the skill of being a trust fundraiser is finding yeah. where you can, where you can drop that one in. Um and oh, and on reserves, if they say, Oh, well, we don't tell anyone and we don't put, I just don't put anything in, they will go into your accounts and check you out if it's a big ask that you've put in because they want yeah. to make sure you're a good risk. So either make sure oh, that your fine. accounts have a really clear non-finance accountant person version of what the reserve statement is and why it's there, or put it into your application.
1: Yes, yeah, I would yeah, I would agree and I would always err on the put it in there because like you said, they will find out um, in mm-hmm. these situations. And I think somebody had commented earlier that like, a lot of small charities, uh, small funders, they're finding you're doing a lot more due diligence these days. So it used to be just the big funders that would do like financial report um, checks and even like checks on your trustees. And me, I had checked on them myself once as I was filling the application, which was, you know, a whole thing. Um But small funders are starting to do that because they have to, I think, now um, because of the competition out there and obviously post-COVID. So I would say, yeah, definitely put your reserves, but have a statement ready. We used to have it um, when I've worked at previous places because we did, again, we had high reserves because we had a lot of need for them because we had residential properties for older people. We couldn't just, if we shut down, we couldn't just leave you know, a few thousand over 55s homeless.
0: Yep, exactly. So, not if gonna, you, need to, you know, there's if, a reason. Yeah, no, exactly. And that, as long as you've got a justifiable, logical reason that's common sense, you'll be fine. Um, yeah. I just did see one about smaller grants being more time intensive and resource intensive to manage. I think that is all about how you do them. If you do, mm. right, I'm going to do a grant and write an application from the beginning. I'm going to do an application and write it from the beginning. I'm going to do an application and write it from the beginning. This is when I find having a template two pager for small core applications or small applications to a given project where you yes. still have written the application as though you know the kind If you, after you've done trust fundraising for a while, you know what a funder wants and you can answer 17 funders questions in one application because it's kind of, it gives a really good picture of it. Get that good one. Read it through when you're doing applications. Change paragraphs around to give them to to put the 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 order in in the right place. And then just manage it. Block your time out two days a month. You do you do yeah. manage stuff for that. A lot of ones require a thank you letter once you've sent the application out. It's a thank you letter and an update report once a year. Yeah. If it's on the same project, have the same update report. Most funders yeah. now, I've I've seen it from a bunch of them when I'm working with one of my clients. They're they're coming back and saying things like, um, you can use the same report that you're using for another funder. We don't mind as long as it's on the same project.
1: They, yeah, and they, and really that's smart because you,
0: you shouldn't be at writing a brand new for the same project. You shouldn't be writing a different app, a different. View of the project, everyone. you should be right. It's about the project and you're asking for funding for the project. You're not going yeah. to find out who can I find who can I match a project to? Yeah, or who can I cre- create a project for? That makes yeah. work for yourself.
1: Yeah, don't make work for yourself. We work hard enough. I kind of see it as um almost similar to when you do your CV and cover letter because obviously you have a basic CV and cover letter because you know what you've done in your life in your career. Um, and you have that as a basis but every time you apply for a new job you will update that because you Mm -hmm. will tailor it to the specific um company and job role that you're applying for trust applications is similar you have the basic data because you know your charity probably better than anybody else as a trust fundraiser because you have to know everything and And if you're targeting really well yeah that project will match to everybody (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. And that kind of runs into actually our next question, which is from Sarah. And she said, it can be difficult to include everything in bids to trusts, particularly when you're trying to keep bids short because they're getting hundreds of bids. Any hints and tips? Yes. Um, leave yes. out what you can. Um, I say I put in the absolute the summary.
0: So the way I work, because I, I use I, I'm still old school. I still use a pencil for something. So I work backwards. So I will write a case for support proposal almost as though it's that all the information's in one. So it might be 10 pages long. And then I bring it down to eight and then I bring it down to five and then I bring it down to four and two and one and half and a quarter. So if you, if you do that process, although it takes a lot of time and I say trust fundraising is front end loaded, all the work happens at the beginning, but if you get it done and you do it well, that can accomplish 20 applications worth of work. In in yeah. one sort of process, yeah. if you get that done, put in what is absolutely, 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 absolutely necessary to know, the need, not the want, and this is a business case with heart. It's not heart with a little bit of a business case. So you want to make sure it's not an appeal to IG. It's not a, a it's not a co- Christmas appeal. It is a business case that you're ve- being very clear about, and you've it's your elevator pitch in two pages. Yeah. So what are you going to put in your elevator pitch? What is the most important things? And then in your cover letter, which is separate and does not have the ask in it because then that can be counted as the first of two pages, um, it tells you don't put the numbers in there. And And maybe I'm being tricky and I know other people do it differently, but I don't want my first page and my, my cover letter and first page of my proposal to be counted as my two pages. I want the cover letter as here's a proposal. Oh, and by the way, if you have any more information or you want my accounts or you want brochures or you want to know anything more, here's the website. Here's the link that I can go to. I'm more than happy to send it to you. So keep the bid short, keep it nice and clean, Add in what is absolutely necessary to know. If you've got extra room, pad it out with some nice stuff in there. Um, pictures only when they, only when a picture is worth a thousand words. So only put the picture in and when it, it tells more than the words it, it in the space that it takes up. Um, and then in the cover letter say, I have more information if you want it. If they yeah. want to know more information and they are considering funding you, they will ask. If they don't want more information, and they don't want to fund you they don't want to fund you full stop and don't yeah. be upset about that that's the other thing rejection you're going to get rejected way more than you're not um i saw somewhere yeah. once where somebody said their their rejection their success rate right was one in five and their success rate right now is one in 50.
1: yeah that's, and, and that's huge so keep that in mind huge. but also you've got to i think that's the thing as well and Um, they said you have got to be prepared for rejection it's kind of a bit like dating isn't it really like you kind of have to just hope that you find the one at some point Um, it's a minefield but I've always said this and I think this is true in all fundraising but trust fundraising as well is find a support network of people who are doing the same as you and have that kind of like chance to really reflect and kind of just let off a bit of steam and just chat mm-hmm. about it because yeah it's going to be hard and it's going to be stressful you're going to get rejection and I'm really selling this to everybody but when you get that funding and I think we can all say this there is no better feeling in the nope. world no nope. it's honestly an, it's and it's an amazing the happy
0: dance Singing, your, your entire team might exactly. think you're nuts, but but do something that, that that is fun. Yeah. Um. And keep in mind too, the best application that fits perfectly doesn't necessarily mean even the best bid writers get rejected because sometimes you're up against somebody whose need is greater at that time, or you're up against um you're up against the nephew of the chair of the trustees and yeah. and people are people and so i'm not saying i'm not saying that's good or that's bad but sometimes it has nothing at all to do with your application your application is excellent it's just yeah. that it was it wasn't the right application to the right funder at the right time one of those things wasn't wasn't right so yeah. don't just do the next one
1: get the next one out yeah. the door that's, yeah, and it's like what we said earlier, you know once you've submitted it, your bit is over, and it is hard to not stress about it, but you are all amazing and wonderful trust fundraisers, and you are doing the best possible job you can for your charity, and you care, and you know mm-hmm. you're passionate about it, and that passion is what's going to come through. But unfortunately, there's yeah, fifty to thousands of other people who are doing the same thing so just, yeah i i have a thing and it's going to go back to food again is every time i submit an application um i treat myself to something whether you know you kind of have to scale it back when you're doing a lot of applications so if you've got a box of chocolates maybe treat yourself to one each time you submit something mm-hmm. but yeah you know to <laughs> do that just and i think my final thoughts um and I would say um, this is my one kind of tip, I guess, to fun, to people that are, are kind of looking to become trust fundraisers. Yes, it's challenging. Yes, there's going to be rejection. But you are doing an amazing thing and there's no better feeling in the world. And I think just acknowledge and re- recognise that you are human, you are a person, you're an individual. And be kind, always be kind to yourself. Uh-huh. Um, and that, yeah, that's that. That's my last bit of advice.
0: My last thought is: don't panic. Follow good trust fundraising practices. Target really well, and be aware of the fact that competition is high. So, if you are getting rejected more, it's probably not you. It's yeah. just that it's really, really high out there. So just keep at it. Keep slogging through. Give yourself a break when you need it, and and you'll be fine. We will get through this. We all we will. will. Um, and, and just stay the course, stay the course and you'll be fine.
1: Yeah. I I know that sounds
0: simple, simplified, but in the long run, that's the best we can do. And that's what you can affect is by staying the course.
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with, with all of that. Um, and we could go on all day and I can see there are still questions, um, come in. So if you want to email, um, myself afterwards with any questions, we can try and answer them for you um, more than happy to do that um I'm sure somebody will pop my email address in the chat box
0: and I'm um, more than happy to jump in as well so um yeah. so Mandy will get in touch with me that's not a problem yes I
1: will yeah I'll just I'll we, we'll do it we'll do it again yeah, just quickly before we go, just don't forget that we have got that special offer of a fifteen percent off discount for our December Trust Grants and Major Donors um, Conference, and the code for that is Trust Fifteen. And also, I just wanted to say a huge, huge thanks to all of our members that are coming today. You know, couldn't do we couldn't do what we do and offer these services without our all, all of our members. Thank you so, so much for joining us and for being so um, involved. We'll we'll both see you soon. Bye. Bye.